my name is Maria. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm Alyssa. My pronouns are also she and her. And today we are going to be talking about the Roman Emperor Hadrian. Woohoo! Yes. Def- um, definitely gay. We're excited for this one because yes. there's no oh. hand wavy. Yeah, no, he is just objectively, demonstrably gay, and it's wonderful, and I'm so yes. happy I finally can say we know this for a fact, and not just we think based on conjecture, blah, 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 because we have diehard proof, and it, well, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll see. I'm excited. Let's go ahead and just get, like, right on into it. Let's start with a little biography about who Hadrian is. The Emperor Hadrian was born Publius Aelius, or Aelius, rather, Hadrianus, in January 24th in 76, in either a place called Italica, which is near modern day Seville, um, or possibly in Rome. And this is like one of those things where we have two conflicting accounts. One of them is revisionistic, possibly. So it could be either one. It's kind of a 50 50. So we just say both. Is revisionistic, does that mean that? I mean, I guess someone went back and revised what it was based on their own biases. Yeah, like we we think that the reason it's kind of been asserted that Hadrian was born in Rome is because it would have been more politic for the time period to have a Roman senator versus a a Spanish senator. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no, that's Spain. Mm. Mm. So uh, the Romans are racist. uh, Every one of them. It's great. (laughs) Yes. And by great, I mean, it's horrible. It's just as shitty as it is. Um, yeah. yeah. Hadrian's parents both die in 86 at the age of 10, his age of 10, obviously. And he becomes the ward of the future emperor Trajan. Um, Trajan is most notable for bringing the Roman Empire up to its greatest extent um, and for considered by most to be like, you know, the best emperor or one of the best emperors. Greatest extent, like geographically, it yes. was like the largest. Okay. Yeah, he added um, he added southern Romania. He added added the Mesopotamian area. Uh, he added the area around Armenia. A couple of other things like that. So we don't need to worry about that too much. But he brings it out to its biggest ex- extent. Hadrian gets adopted by Trajan, who again pushes the border out to its biggest extent, and this sets him up to become emperor later on in life. He gets um, you know preferential treatment to an extent. He doesn't get a whole lot of preferential treatment, but he does get some. Like, he gets the good offices and things like that. But beyond that, he's basically just left to, you know, figure out what the hell he's doing. He marries the niece of Trajan, one uh, Vibia Sabina, at around uh, 100 CE. Uh, and they're married for 37 years, have no children, and it's regarded by basically everybody to be a completely loveless marriage. Oh. That being said, he did do what he was supposed to do. Um, she died before him and he had her deified. So there was at least respect. <laughs> I mean, that's some sort. better. Yeah. Like there's a lot of loveless marriage where the wife does not get deified after yeah. she dies. So uh, deification's that. very important in this episode. It's going to come up again later. Hadrian goes and starts his political career around the same time. Uh, he goes down the Cursus Honorum, which is just kind of this concept that you should go, you should be like, you know, a, a praetor before you're an idol or whatever like that. It's basically just saying like, you know, you shouldn't immediately become consul. You should have some actual civic experience before being handed the reins of power to a you know complex oh, yeah. government. It's like how theoretically, um, you know, American presidents should like be politicians before becoming president. You know, you start yeah. mayor, governor, 
House of Representatives, Senator, then yeah. President. You don't just get to go be a president and know nothing about the government. Yeah. Uh, supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. Um, mm. And of course, then you get just like just like in the modern era, you get these rich fucks who come in and just they're richer than God. So they get to do what they want. Looking at you, Crassus. <laughs> God, some things never change. Well, hopefully some things never change because Crassus, when he was killed, had molten gold poured into his head. Ooh. Ooh. <sighs> Fuck him. I wouldn't Fuck waste the gold. Just yeah. molten lead or something. Actually, the other account is it's lead. Oh, <laughs> nice. But yeah. Anyway, so he goes down the curses of Norum and he gets his experience. He goes traipsing around with the legions. He's military tribune by age 20, which is, again, like a not quite a brigadier general, maybe more like a full gold colonel. Um, okay, so he gets I know nothing. Of, yeah, it's it's higher officers, basically. Um, okay. And he gets lots of good experience here. Um, I say good because it's good for him, specifically. He gets lots of experience with the army. It turns out he's really into, like, camp life as it is. Oh, um, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, also, he also he's regarded as being like not unlike Julius Caesar, being a fairly like like a soldier's emperor. He's very much he gets in the shit with his men. He eats the same food as them. He marches in the same conditions of, as them. He's very 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 highly regarded by the uh, soldiery. Nice. So he becomes emperor in one seventeen as Trajan dies. Uh, Trajan dies. Probably, in my opinion, natural causes, but maybe due to a plot by uh, Trajan's wife, Ooh. who wanted to make sure that Hadrian was the uh, successor. Oh, but why? why did she like Hadrian? And uh, it's court politics. Okay, <laughs> we'd right. be here forever. Um, <laughs> okay, but she liked Hadrian. Didn't so much like her husband. Wanted the husband gone and Hadrian in power. That I don't know off the top of my head, but I mean uh that that would check out. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that's definitely a recurring theme in, in Roman history. So Hadrian gets uh, t emperor, title emperor rather, in 121, or sorry, in 117. He begins turning turning the empire in 121, and okay. this is really Wait, neat. So 117, he was 31. Is that? Uh, yes. Okay. Wow. Yes. Okay. No one said there'd be math. <laughs> well, I was just calculating because you said when he was born. Right, mm -hmm. is eighty six, and so 76. if he became emperor in one seventeen, that's thirty one. Mm -hmm. He's born in seventy six, <laughs> though. Oh, seventy six. Okay, yes. so that would be. Oh no. Okay, so that would be forty one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he begins touring the empire in one twenty one, and this is really cool because he's actually one of the first uh, emperors to visit all of the provinces of the Roman Empire. Um, as far as I know and could find, no other emperor gets close oh wow and and as you said like this is the largest it's ever been so yeah i mean he only... does he does pull back from a lot of trajan's conquest at the very beginning because he just knows that it's not worth the effort to try and you know keep the parthians out of uh, mesopotamia because it's just it's not economically feasible but that being said he goes on this huge tour of the empire he visits uh, he visits Britain, he visits Syria, he visits Egypt, Spain, the Danube. I mean, he goes all over the fucking place. Wow. And so he's a very cosmopolitan. He has a very cosmopolitan view of the empire, as it were. That being said, he always did have a bit of a kind of a Hellenic bent to him, as it were. 
Um, <laughs> this okay. is not just um, thinly veiled euphemism here. The gay stuff. Um, <laughs> like literally, he's he's known as as uh, Graculus, as little Greekling oh, because of oh his affinity for little Greekling. I love yeah. both of those as like you know is he is is he you know like a little Greekling you know is he <laughs> w- does he <laughs> take after what was the other thing little Greekling and. He has a Grecian bent. Does he have a Grecian bent to him, do you think? I don't know. Not good at detecting whether or not people have a Grecian bent. Yeah. (laughs) Very good. So he's always had this affinity for Greek culture and everything like that. And he's got this very (laughs) wide view of the empire, as it were. So that probably has a lot to do with, like, his... um, What's the word like for here? Um, Hmm openness perhaps i don't know I, I don't know what word i'm looking for here it might be why he is the way he is i suspect the way he is yes is that um, a euphemism no not just necessarily that one thing like he does a <laughs> lot of stuff that's pretty damn greek too like he's all into like these mystery cults and shit like that oh um, man yeah no hadrian's really interesting um mystery cults who isn't into mystery cults i guess i've got a grecian bent well, I mean, <laughs> God damn it. Uh, um, huh. uh, anyway, that's enough talking about this nerd. Let's talk about his boyfriend. Yeah. So Hadrian meets a Bithynian. Let's be honest. He's a kid because unfortunately it's a classical oh, world. No. We got to do this shit again. Yep. Yep. Gross. Yep. It's pederasty. Well, actually, I think more more accurately, this is grooming in this case. So it's not uh. that's not an improvement. No. That's not an improvement. But we do not condone this. No. Um, Does he ever? Can you like spoiler and tell me if he like ever is with men who are more appropriate to his age, or is it always? Um, I don't boys? know. I don't okay. know. Um, but I mean, considering the time and his choice of residence, I I wouldn't be shocked if this was not a, a recurring thing. Hmm. Uh, Unfortunately. Ah, uh, ancient world. Why you gotta be so fucked up? I know. Yeah. So his boyfriend, Antinous, I'm gonna call him his boyfriend, though, because eh, you'll see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, is b- born in 111. So there's a 40-year difference in age. Yikes. Um, yeah, I literally have the yikes in the notes, too. Very good. <laughs> and he's again born in Bithynia. Um, we don't know a whole lot about Antinous. Or Antinous, I should say, um, because I'm going to try and be better with my Greek. Um, emphasis on try. I'm sure there's like one person out there that appreciates that. Yes, and he's going to be like, he fucked up anyway. Um, <laughs> but you're trying. I'm trying, damn it. Bless my heart, I'm trying. <laughs> Bless your heart. So we don't know a whole lot about his early life. He's pretty much anonymous until he meets Adrian, because it turns out, hey, dipping an emperor makes you famous. Yeah. Um. They probably first meet around 123 when Hadrian's in the area. It's either he was met him while he was in the area, or that he was sent to Rome for education, or because he was just so good looking. We don't know. It's at the end of the day, we don't know that. We don't know the specifics of that part. Um. But we do know that the two of them hit it off. We do know the two of them are visible together in public, pretty much constantly. Oh. Um, until Antinous dies. Spoilers, Antinous is going to die pretty soon. Oh, man. 
but not before he accompanies Hadrian to uh, a good deal of the empire, actually. Hadrian goes off in 127, and he tours Italy, Africa, Greece. Um, in 128, he goes to Athens, specifically, where he stays for a couple months. Afterwards, he goes to Asia Minor, Judea, and Syria. He goes to Egypt in 130 and visits Alexander's sarcophagus. Oh. Uh, they go take a little side trip in 130 to go, in September of 130, I should say, to go to Libya, and then they go hunt a lion. Uh, okay. And we get this really fun scene where Hadrian and Antinous are out hunting and they find this lion and the lion like gets too close and like tries to attack uh, Antinous and kills his horse and everything. But Hadrian Whoa. comes by and saves him at the last last second. Oh, so romantic. Yeah. Um, it's so romantic that it's on the Arch of Constantine now. Oh, the Arch of Constantine is like three different arches piece together from spare parts um <laughs> functionally so this scene of hadrian rescuing antinous is on the left of the arch of constantine so it's on the very far left you get this little medallion of a dude on a horse with a spear killing a lion it's real cool uh and exists so there there's our, our archaeological evidence of of hadrian and antinous being an item I don't think, is that technically archaeological? I think that's just... Okay, fine. Look. <laughs> <laughs> I think archaeological evidence would be like if we had like the lion's bones and so, I don't know. Maybe. I don't I'm know. not even sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it's archaeological based on the fact that we had to dig half of that damn arch out of the ground. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's the entirety of my justification. Please don't at me. <laughs> so, and this is where we're... All right, now it's time for the sad part. So, Antinous dies... While in Egypt, he is fished out of the Nile. We don't know an exact date. We just know before the end of October. Did he die from drowning in the Nile? We don't know. Uh, oh, there's, a couple, there's a couple different. There's a couple different explanations for his death. Uh, one is that he was just partying too hard. He was drunk. He fell off oh into God. the river and and drowned. There's a theory that there was some um prophecy from a, an oracle an oracular priest i should say in egypt he said like oh well if if someone's going to die soon and you know it's either you or someone really important to you and and either antinous in, in in a fit of of selflessness and devotion and love dies and kills himself for hadrian so he can live on and on or hadrian does it or it's there's like five different theories and at the end of the day it's just we don't know he got pulled yeah. out of the river just unknown um, okay yeah um what's important about this though is that he's pulled out of the river uh shortly before a festival dedicated to the egyptian god osiris and this is important for a couple reasons uh one because of who osiris is and right the mythology behind that do you want to say the mythology yeah sure not everyone uh, I'll, I'll say that real quick <laughs> yeah um, so Osiris is a Greek uh, god of the dead. He Wait, is... No. Greek god of the dead? Oh, god. Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> Egyptian. <laughs> so, so he's an Egyptian god of the dead. Pretend I know what words are. Yeah. Um, and he's responsible for all that sorts of stuff. And, you know, Antinous dying right before his festival. They start thinking, well, you know, if he dies, and then, oh, well, obviously. Antinous 
is clearly Osiris come back for a little bit to party on Earth. Um, oh, all right. At least that's how they explain it um, when they go ahead and just make him basically uh, just an aspect of Osiris. Um, that's and cool. Th- I wouldn't yeah. mind being an aspect of Osiris. That's please believe that of me when I die. Yes. <laughs> So this is important for a couple of things. So one, shortly after his death, Antinous is functionally deified. And this is notable because this doesn't really happen to just anyone in, in, like in the classical world as a whole, but especially not in the Roman world. You don't. But it happened to Hadrian's wife. Well, it hasn't happened to Hadrian's wife yet. Oh, OK. But okay. see, the distinction here is she is a member of the imperial family. Antinous isn't. Antinous is just some random Bithynian. To most Romans, he's not he's not a patrician. He's not a Roman emperor. He's not, you know, a a son or a spouse of a Roman emperor. He's yeah. not even Roman. So. Oh, dang. Yeah. Then that's ooh, yeah. not even Roman. Um, And he still he gets deified and he gets deified by Egyptian priests, not by Roman priests. Oh. And moreover, all of this happens without senatorial approval, which is you don't do that like we, this this is still the era of the principate for the most part so you still need senatorial approval for some stuff you still need the backing of the senate otherwise you get turned into like you know nero or caligula or Domitian. i guess the egyptian priests just not worried about it they're like nope we believe this so firmly yeah fuck you roman senate we don't need your approval yeah and of course, because Hadrian loves Antino so much, he spreads this cult everywhere. He says, <laughs> I don't give a shit about you, uh, Roman Senate, um, and your approval. Stick that up your ass. My boyfriend's dead. So now, obviously, my boyfriend's a god. Yeah, everyone will be worshipping my dead boyfriend now. Yes. And we get these wonderful little stories about, oh, well, the day that Antinous dies, Hadrian looks up in the sky and he sees a star. And obviously this is proof that he, that, that Antinous has ascended to Elysium or wherever. <laughs> oh my God. He gets a yes. whole constellation named after him. Yes. Um, which doesn't appear in most like constellation guides these days. It was kind of thrown out and I believe it was merged with aquila i think is the one closest to him but if you look in like older constellation charts and things like that even as late as like you know late 1800s early 1900s you'll still see a constellation for antinous um, which is kind of cool yeah that's yeah that's nice so yeah he gets deified and then hadrian just goes nuts over in the east he founds uh this is gonna be fun to say antinoopolis <laughs> Deified constellation city. Yeah, he founds that the same year he dies. He holds games for him there in his honor. The Antinoia, Antinoia, rather I should say, yeah, Antinoia. Let's go with Antinoia. Okay. Um, He spreads this cult throughout the east, like I said, especially in Greece and Egypt. It's especially popular there. But that being said, I don't want to make this sound like it's like some weird like Eastern mystery cult thing that happens in the first century and in in this period that's common it happens this one isn't just a flash in the pan though despite the fact that it probably should have been it it gets really wide maybe not support but exposure like we find all kinds of like medallions and votives and other things like that all throughout the empire they found uh i want to say like in britain they found little medallions to antinous oh my god and along the danube places like that so i mean extrapolate what you want from there 
There are also numerous sculptures of uh, Antinous. He is probably like one of the most depicted people in the ancient world. What? Really? Yeah. We have he's like somewhere on the level of like Caesar and Augustus, I think, um, were the two or not Augustus uh, between Caesar and Hadrian. Oh, oh, are like the two Romans that have more statues like for them. Um, What I'm trying to say here is there are a shitload of statues for Antinous. We are I I saw an estimate for around like 2000 having been made, which is a lot for the period that's a lot of statues for one person (laughs) wow um of those 2000 again estimated 2000 115 survive 22 of them were found at hadrian's villa in tivoli oh my god that i don't that's almost so all right your significant other dies you make a cult I, you mm-hmm. know, I, it started off very cute. Like, you know, oh, it's a constellation and I'm going to build a city for him. But then you have a bunch of statues made mm-hmm. and your house is just like everywhere you look. There's statues of your dead boyfriend who yep. <laughs> was an aspect of a god. Yes. Um, and also at, depicted mm-hmm. as other gods. There's depictions of him as as like, for example, Heracles. Mm-hmm. Very common. Um, and this cult doesn't like fizzle out and die with Hadrian, it persists up wow. until at least at least until 391. Um, wow. Is there any indication like why people were so excited for this? Like you're you, you mentioned so, that it was like more widespread and whatever. Like, why did everyone jump on the in- Antinous cult? I'm, I'm glad you asked that. So there's a couple of reasons. One is this is just kind of the nature of, of classical polytheism. Um, it's obviously a lot more open to, you know, additions to the pantheon, right? Um, simply because it's not monotheistic. I mean, like, oh, there's already a, a, a bunch of gods. There's a god of locks. Why can't there be a god of like, you know, my dead gay boyfriend? <laughs> um, that's a little simplistic to look at it that way, but it's also not entirely inaccurate. Uh, there is a Roman god of locks because Roman gods are everything, basically. Yeah. You need a god for everything so that you have yeah. someone to pray to when you're locks mm-hmm. aren't working yes so that's one reason why it gets the traction it does or gets any traction at all i should say uh, the reason it gets the traction it does though i think if if you think about it like if you are attached to the spheres of power and your boss's lover dies and the grief is so much that you know there's pictures being put up and flowers and candles and things like that and this goes on for months and months and months and years and years and years if you walk by and, you know, just leave a little candle and the boss notices, hey, you just got on his good side. And all you had to do was light a candle, right? Ah, okay. This is kind yeah. of that same idea. You, you can almost certainly just like, oh, I, I, I gave a bull to uh, Antinous Osiris in the name of Caesar. Um, I'm so Ooh. great. Can I please have that governorship, though? Uh, in <laughs> because, man, my, my finances are hurting. I want to be so powerful that people appease me by like uh, respecting my girlfriend and like <laughs> that's that's yeah, so nice. He just... He's like, "Yep, I'm powerful. You're gonna you're gonna worship my my dead gay boyfriend." Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you want anything from me, you better light some candles, kill some bulls, yeah, join his cult. And it's just it's it, but yeah, it was basically just a really easy way of getting imperial favor. But of course, as this happens, you know, the, the more people do it, it legitimizes it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's a weird kind of 
cynical, I guess, almost opportunistic kind of thing going on there. But also you do get actual adherence being actually devoted to this actual god. And again, like it is, this cult is persistent enough to last until Theodosius bans paganism outright in the whole empire. So obviously there's something to it for someone. Is, did he define paganism as just like polytheism? Like, uh, basically he, de- he defines it as not Christianity. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, he shutters all the temples. He basically just, he, he's, he is my least favorite emperor because he fucks up a lot of my my archaeological and, and architectural evidence oh uh, i hate uh, it when people do that theodosius is the reason is the reason why the, the pantheon in rome isn't full of all these wonderful statues of like you know minerva and oh. uh janice and jupiter because he's like oh no pagan's bad wow so a lot this of, is yeah. a very convincing argument i too hate that guy yeah um that and, he, that and he wrote this horrible fucking primary source document I had to go through once, and I'm never forgiving him for writing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Speaking of primary sources, let's talk about ours for this one. Yeah. <laughs> nice little segue, yeah? Yeah. Um, our two main textual uh, sources are, one... From an anonymous collection of authors uh, who wrote something called the Historia Augusta, which is just like, you know, the history of the Augustus. Um, and they are written by a group of authors we call the Scriptores Historiae Augustae. We think it was six different people um, or one of six different th- people. We don't need to worry about all that. But we do know it was written sometime around the fourth century, which is around, you know, 300 years post ex facto. Uh, I don't want to get too deep in the historiography, but Theodore Mommsen, who's like a big titan in the field of, of Roman studies from back in the day, thinks that there was an editor of this primary source document under Justinian, which would have been in the 4th century. Let's, let, let's look at that again. So we think this art document was written 300 years after the fact, mm-hmm. edited again 400 years after the fact, oh. by possibly up to six different authors. So... Obviously, yeah, so, it's it's authenticity, it's reliability, it's it's pretty debatable. Uh, yeah, uh, and a good deal of the Historia Augusta we know for sure is just propaganda verging on satire. <laughs> oh no! So we have to take this with a remarkably large grain of salt. But that being said, it does exist, and here's what it says. Um. So yeah, so the primary source starts off talking about how he lost Antinous on the Nile, um, and it has this wonderful line. It, it says, Quem muliebriter flewit, he wept like a woman. Oh, what? Which uh, is, I, I say this is a great line, not because of the misogyny, obviously. I say this because it's very interesting to see, one, that this, this dumb fucking phrase goes back at least 2,000 years. <laughs> that's that's um, true. And two, that it's being applied to a Roman emperor. And you'll see the issue here is not that he's grieving. The issue is that he's grieving in a, quote, unmasculine way. Right. You can't (sighs) you can't cry to grieve. You just like, I guess, what's a masculine? You just like drink a lot and brood. Yeah. Um, This is also where we get that conflicting story about the nature of the death. 
Um, the writers, they say, uh, concerning this incident, there are varying rumors for some claim that he had devoted himself to death for Hadrian and others what both his beauty and Hadrian's sensuality suggest. But however this may be, the Greeks deified him at Hadrian's request and declared that oracles were given through his agency, but these, it is commonly asserted, were composed by Hadrian himself. Oh. Yeah. So well, as you can eh. see, this the other thing we need to consider with this source that I forgot to mention is that it's pretty antagonistic in its views on Hadrian. This is one of like those like almost secret history kind of things going on there. Um so that's the what's secret. going on with that. What what is the secret history part of oh, it? Oh, it's it's like when when I'm when we talk about secret histories, we mean like histories that were made for the uh, the imperial courts or just not meant to be circulated, not meant to be read by most people. They're usually oh. these scathing treatises on how um like like there's a secret history for the reign of Justinian where it's like, oh, Justinian's actually a lizard person. Um <laughs> Okay, and, so it's and, a conspiracy and his wife's theory. wife's a whore and blah, 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 That's, they're conspiracy theories. I mean, calling them conspiracy theories might be a little heavy-handed. It might just be, like, rumor rumor mongering, I guess. I don't know. Okay. The because rumor that uh, someone is a lizard yeah. person. Yes. <laughs> um, or that, you know, he really liked the king of Bithynia too much. It's always mm. the Bithynians. Why is it always the Bithynians with these? I don't, God, I don't know. I mean, about? do we have pictures? Mm. Like... Do, is there something well we have pictures of Antinous. um well we, we have, have all that yeah we have statuaries which yeah. i will be including in the show notes nice um you know what i'm gonna this. actually i'm gonna i'm gonna google right now i want to see what Antinous looks like Antinous. i would love to see i wonder it, hadrian's villa like what happened to the 22 statues that were there i'll look at that very uh roman sculpture hair yeah uh there's one of Antinous in the louvre i think and yeah there it is and it is called the uh Antinous mondragone because it was found in the villa mondragone near uh Frescati, which is a not quite suburb of rome but it's it's near rome and he just looks straight up like i don't know <laughs> aphrodite oh nice there's, i mean there's definitely like some feminine coding going on here, um, which is really interesting to me. Where so all of these statues to me, and I'm sure if you're at a computer, you know, other people have looked it up, but like they just look kind of stereotypically Roman. Like the hair doesn't look like I don't know. Like there's no distinguishing mm -hmm. feature that I'm like, oh, you know. Well, I mean it one, it depends on the statue itself. Because then we, I mean, we'd have to get into a whole episode worth of material here on like right, the Roman yeah, yeah, concept of beauty and all of that. Blah 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 blah. Tiny penis, I know that tiny penis very important. Yes, because if your <laughs> if your dick's too big, then clearly, um, clearly you're not actually a man. Yeah, that um, that makes sense. You know, totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> i would we i would love to look into that actually like why i don't know i feel like that that's something that you know some emperor had a tiny penis and he was like you know i mean it's actually more manly i'm i'm inclined to, i'm inclined to think it's more of a of a uh, moderation in all things including your nuts oh yeah i guess yeah um so okay this one that you just showed me uh it's got like a little bit of the longer hair is this what you're talking about yeah. with the like a little bit of feminine 
that yeah like you don't see any any depictions of any roman males like this yeah this definitely if i didn't know i would just assume that this was a woman um yeah but i basically because of the hair also you know what what does well we could yeah. go into that more but because he doesn't have facial hair like really it's he's pretty androgynous to begin with yeah and i don't think that's an accident and that's just kind of my my, my gut reaction is is that like you know uh, that's not an accident Ooh, I found one of Osiris and Tinnuis. Nice. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. These are these are very cool. I highly recommend yeah. if you're not at a computer now that you go check out the many, many statues. Oh, and there's one yes. of Hadrian and Antinous. Oh, it's at the British Museum. Oh, that's nice. The one of Hadrian has facial hair. Yes. Actually, Hadrian is the first emperor to be depicted with facial hair. And that's actually oh, really? something that was that was actually an issue that people had with him. Is he had that Greek philosopher beard because it was un-Roman. Oh. Uh, again, the casual racism. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. It's not great, um, oh. obviously. So that's yeah. our that's our one source. Um, that's our bad source. Let's move on to the, the good source, which is the um, Roman history written by Dio Cassius. It's written in Greek. Fuck me. Because of course it is. Oh, are you? you <laughs> Thank God this was actually translated, though, so I didn't have to sit there and pick through Greek because my Greek is so bad. No. Nice. Um, it, too, however, is also written after the fact, though. Um, Dio Cassius writes this in the third century. Um, he does this over a span of 22 years. It's written in Greek. And we think this one is a pretty accurate depiction of at least Hadrian. Um, Dio Cassius is fairly unreliable in a lot of parts of history but we are pretty sure that his account of hadrian is fairly faithful and accurate factual he has access to a lot of secondary and primary source material that we don't um i saw right because third century would have only been like a hundred years after hadrian died right yeah about 150 or so years yeah yeah um i couldn't find any where this was um asserted but I did see a couple claims that he had access to Hadrian's diary. Oh, and again, I couldn't I couldn't verify this. I hadn't heard this before, but that would make sense. So that would give him like access to source material, obviously, that we don't have. So it's kind of hard to verify. But we think we think this is accurate. He also talks about this um, scenario and he actually talks at much greater length um, about Antinous than the uh, scriptores do yeah so dio cassius is the one who tells us uh, a great deal about antinous comparatively um, but he does tell us specifically about the instance of uh hadrian seeing that star in the sky and you know saying oh well obviously this is my dead boyfriend uh blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> um i don't like dio cassius uh full disclosure <laughs> it's good to recognize our biases yes but you know he's he's what we got so we work with what we got he tells us a couple different things, again, about the star. He tells us about the circumstances surrounding his death with the Nile. He tells us, again, the theories that Antinous had done this willingly or that Hadrian had ordered him to or whatever. Oh, right, because of the, yeah. the Oracle's prophecy. Yeah, because of the Oracle's prophecy. So yeah, so Dio Cassius tells us about all that other stuff. Uh, he also tells us this fun little thing at the very end of the section I pulled out that he went to all of this trouble with Antinous, Antinous rather, and, you know, setting up as a god and all that. But his 
sister Paulina, who dies around the same time, just was ignored because who cares? I mean, there's a big difference between your sister and your boyfriend. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> that doesn't that, that's comparing apples to oranges. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Was Hadrian gay? Yeah, pretty obviously. Yeah. <laughs> he started a cult of my dead boyfriend. So yes. that's yeah. No, and but, built no, a city for him. Yeah. And, and now let's be clear. This Hadrian having these these preferences is not would not have been the issue for the era obviously and i'm, I'm right. circling back to this because you know it's worth repeating yeah um like rome is a pretty bisexual place like just it just is um sorry if you think that's wrong you're wrong yeah um, it is, it is. <laughs> um like Ed edward gibbon makes a point of saying that of all of the roman emperors and this is this is these are edward gibbon's words that only claudius's sexual tastes were quote entirely correct Enti wow fuck you man yes yeah right um which i mean we, we pretty obvious what what gibbon is saying there yeah uh, but he's dead so you know how fucking smart is he <laughs> i'm just kidding i love i love edward gibbon he's a hilarious writer um oh boy. in my opinion it's the decline and fall of the roman empire i gotta cite it i gotta do it you got mm. no choice you gotta do these things the other, the other person I'm going to point out, though, is Mike Duncan, who is, of course, most people know Mike Duncan as the um, host of the History of Rome podcast. He makes a really good point, then, where he says, like, you know, we shouldn't just assume that this was not the case for all the other emperors, too. Um, he's kind of echoing what Gibbon says there. Right. And he's got a whole little four-part series on Hadrian. So if you thought this was interesting, give that a <laughs> listen, too. Yeah, you can listen to a... I mean, does he... Uh, present it in a not straight way. I don't know. Um, yes and no. It's still it's still a pretty cishet view of of things, but it's a fair it's a fair cishet view of okay. things. I think. Okay. Um, Mike Mike okay. Duncan is a good historian, so the fact that he even bothered to mention it, um, puts him ahead of most other yeah people almost. I've had who taught the the area. Right. Sadly. Oh boy. Yeah, it's a problem. Mm. That's why we're here. We're <laughs> trying to correct that. Yes, we're we're trying to solve problems in history and science while addressing problems in podcasting. Because <laughs> because it's twenty twenty and that's what we do. Mm hmm. Um. So yeah, that's that. That's it. That that this is this is the episode about how Hadrian's gay and it's not a question. And we don't have to read fucking poetry about it. Yeah. And there's no. There's no doubt. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, uh, that's that's it. That's all I have. Cool. All right. I mean, it's yeah. not like I <laughs> I don't have that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah. As always, if there's questions or comments, or you want to tell me about how um, I needed more sources, uh, you know, in a nice way. You, once again, in a nice way. Yes. Don't don't Please. be fucking rude. Please be to nice to us it's, or to other people. Yeah. Just just be cool. Just be chill. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Criticism I don't have is anything. Fine. But it has to be. Yeah. I don't have anything super affirming. Um, just that, you know, if if your boyfriend dies and you really love him, <laughs> maybe start a cult. Yeah. Who that's knows? That's a good way to deal. Or uh have statues of him made and put them around your house. All over <laughs> it. Just just yeah, cover in, that shit at up. At least like three in every single room. <laughs> um no, I think the the affirming thing can always be like uh, gay people have existed forever. Get over it. 
Um, and they've been, there have been gay people uh, that were emperors. Like, it's just, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I, I think that's an episode. That is uh, an episode. Yeah. Okay. So, I will, we will go ahead and uh, see y'all next time. Ooh.